On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown, we jump right into FGTB and break down episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance. We discuss the updates over the weekend regarding the NBA season. We talk about NCAA President Mark Emmert's confusing comments and discuss whether or not college football needs some kind of overall leader. We take a look at some local college football news, including Teddy getting fooled by a fake Twitter account. We give you our winners and losers of the weekend and finish with keeping it local and your Twitter questions. Make sure you and all your friends download the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a review. Go follow the podcast's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. Don't forget to watch the YouTube video of each episode also. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Monday, May 11th. Now we're recording this on Sunday night. We just watched episode seven and eight of The Last Dance. And boy, were there some quotes in those. Uh, first, unfortunately, Dusty can no longer be an official part of the podcast, but he'll still come on sometimes as a guest. Teddy, I think that's uh, about all we're really going to say about it. What are we going to do? Are we going to be able to make it, Gabe? I think we'll, I think we'll be all right. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not terribly concerned about it. Clearly unfortunate, but Teddy and I are from Oklahoma. When adversity strikes, we thrive, baby. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be just fine. Uh, we're probably going to bring on some more guests. We'll keep the episodes a little shorter, if I had to guess. Uh, but Teddy and I, we're, we're going to hold this shit down. That's, that's, that's what we do. So speaking of holding shit down, before we dive into the last dance episodes from Sunday night, what'd you do for Mother's Day? I mean, what, what, was, on the, what was on the schedule this weekend, big guy? It was awesome. It was kind of a last-second deal. We ended up going to Jinx, Oklahoma. Uh, hung out with my sister, my brother, got the whole family together for the first time in a long time. I think it's been since Christmas since we all got together uh, under one roof, so that was a lot of fun. Sister did some great cooking, got to hang out, maybe had a beverage or two Saturday night. It was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. A beverage or 10 Saturday beverage night? Beverage or 10. Could have happened. Possibility. And it's kind of confusing because – I've got a running joke on my um, my radio show uh, with my co-host Tyler McComas, and the joke is like every time—not every time—very often people come up to me and they say, "Hey, you went to you went to Jinx High School, didn't you?" And I'm like, "No, you're thinking of Rocky Kalmus. I went to Fort Gibson. Oh, yeah, that's right. Boy, that Rocky Kalmus one hell of a football player." 
So to confuse things even worse, that's where we were. We were jinxed. Um, that's where my sister lives now. So it just – it throws the whole thing into chaos again. So here come the uh, – hey, you went to Jinx, right, in high school? No. No. Unfortunately, that was Rocky. Fort Gibson. <laughs> Fort Lowly Gibson. Fort Gibson, yeah. America. Well, that, The powerhouse. Like, yeah. Yeah, Jinx. Talk about a powerhouse. Well, it sounds like he had a good weekend. That's always good. Weather, weather was great. Um, Beautiful. For Mother's Day. I did get my wife a fur Mother's Day gift, and it was a matching walking hat that I have yeah. been wearing. I got her, I got her the same one, different color, but the same one. And the whole premise was the dogs, you know, Lonnie and McKenna are many Australian Labradoodles. They wrote her a note that says, We like dad's new walking hat so much, we think you should have one too. <laughs> So she now has a walking hat. You see how I played that. And if she doesn't, it. if she doesn't end up using it, now I just have an extra walking hat for myself. That's so perfect. It was great. And then for Mother's Day, had my mom, my sister-in-law. Um, they came over, obviously, with my brother and my dad and my two nephews. We hung out in the backyard, um, ate some food, and, and kept it pretty simple. Just kind of a weird Mother's Day. It was like, do I hug you, mom, or do like we stay apart, or how does this whole thing it work? It was weird. It's, it's st people still aren't sure how to uh, how to hang out together under one roof. It's weird. So since you brought up the walking hat, uh, and we were making fun of you for being an old man about it, I had a, an old man moment this weekend too. So we decided it was a last minute deal that we we're going to jump in the car and drive to Jinx and stay with my sister. And my son, who he's he's five and a half, loves going to my sister's house. Absolutely loves it. It's his favorite thing. So as soon as we told him that, hey, we're going to go to uh, to your Aunt Jill's house, he's like freaking out. So we jump in the car, we go, and we're not 10 minutes down the road. And my son is like, he won't stop talking. He's like, wait, are we there yet? And he's like screaming. You know and we're not there yet. I did like what every every dad ever has done. I swear to God, if you don't shut up, I'm going to turn this car around and we'll go home. And uh, I just kind of like I said it, and then I smiled and looked at my wife. I was like, "Yeah, I'm officially an old man now." That, I, was, that was the first. It's official. See, now I just need to order you one of the hats. It'll be perfect. <laughs> yes, It'll be perfect. No, but. I'm not a big, uh, not a big road trip guy. So once I have kids, that could put me in a very interesting situation of me losing my shit. Oh yeah, it but, will happen. Hey, we'll we'll see. Um, I just a quick question because it happened right before we finished recording last episode. What do you think Mother's Day was like at Earl Thomas's house? Him and his brother. Uh, I mean, <laughs> him and his brother. Hey, mom, happy Mother's Day. She's so just looking at him like, doing? huh? You guys are really close, huh? That's that's what we're doing, boys. That's I mean, how I raised you. As if two. I mean, I I hate to say this, but as if two brothers being in the set, uh, same bed isn't the 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 weird thing that's not even close to the weirdest thing in the entire story that's how strange that whole situation was 
Yeah, she pulled a gun. That's fine. Yeah, she thought it was unloaded. Hey, there's one in the chamber, but wait, there's <laughs> brothers in the what, – what is good? I just thought that was – and he, he, Earl Thomas just acting like it was something that just happens like normally, like this happens all the time to people. Like, hey, yeah, man, stuff happens. I mean, it is what it is. I, I was like, he is awfully calm about this. His his video that he he posted online, I guess you would call it an apology. I don't know what it was. It was almost like he – it was the morning after and he had backed over his friend's mailbox <laughs> and he's got his shirt off and it's like, hey, man, things like this just happen, you know. It was the strangest thing I've ever seen. I, like, you know it's going to be the biggest story going on throughout the entire country, at least for the 24-hour news period. So maybe at least put yourself together a little bit before you jump put on a your shirt phone. on? <laughs> right. <laughs> Amazing. Now, his, his wife's investigative work to get to find him, that was pretty impressive. Uh, it was. I, was. I was impressed by her tactics. All right, Ted, let's, let's get right to it. Uh, we know why everyone listens to this podcast, and that is to hear us talk about basketball. So let's get straight into football guys talking about basketball, football guys talking basketball, FGTB, The Last Dance, episode seven and eight were tonight, and they might have been my favorite episodes up to this point. You got a lot to digest in these two you had Jordan walking away his dad's death his baseball career him coming back all these things just some of the best quotes we've gotten and I guess we'll just go in order from starting at episode seven when you're able to say something like my team would have to fall asleep to lose a game to the Nets and then still sweep them. <laughs> you know you're damn good at basketball because that is just blatant disrespect. I was like, oh my gosh, they couldn't even get a game off the guy when he said that publicly. That's that's rough. It's pretty brutal, you know. Um, one of the things I've really learned about Jordan is there was never anything subtle about anything that he did. Um, whether it was a, a conversation with a teammate, a conversation with an executive. Um, the way he dressed. The way he the dressed. Uh, which, by the way, isn't that like the greatest trend that died is the 10X uh, suit that you wore just hung off Some, of you? Somewhere there is a closet of like $10,000 <laughs> suits that Michael Jordan wore in the 90s. That are just ridiculously oversized, but I would like to get my hands on the fabric. I bet, so I bet they're incredible. Pleated pants for days, but yeah, man, there, nothing subtle about anything that he did or said, or the confidence in that team. Which, rightfully so, I mean, they were fantastic. But still, it's like, I mean, even to this day, like, you know, right there towards the end of the the episode eight, I mean. Gary Payton's one of the greatest defenders ever in the NBA, and he just looks at the iPad and starts laughing. I mean, he's he's just he's incredibly ruthless, man. That just he, totally ruthless. That instantly became a meme, undoubtedly. <laughs> and 
it was maybe the most genuine laughter I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, the fact that he looked at Gary Payton, who arguably is one of the best defenders ever in the NBA. The fact that he looked at that guy saying these things and laughed that genuinely. I was like, this guy is, this guy is ruthless. He is, he is the definition of petty, but for some reason, we love his pettiness. Right. You know, we like to poke fun at other people when they're petty now, but for some reason, we're all about the Michael Jordan pettiness, and it, these, these two episodes were really fun for me because I, I did think it did a good job of showing how big of an effect losing his dad had on him. Now, it was kind of fun, David Stern coming on there and saying, no, I didn't suspend him for gambling. Like, And when you think about it logically, the commissioner suspending the biggest revenue-producing player makes no sense at all. <laughs> That's well, like I, Roger Goodell going, you know what, Patrick Mahomes, I, I, I don't need you for, for the next couple of years. But even, even if they like, – if, if it was some secret – suspension if it was going to be a secret suspension then why would you even do the suspension <laughs> right i mean it's right. like if, if it's going to be this big covert deal that nobody knows about except for david stearns the owner and and michael jordan okay well then well why are we doing this again uh we're just going to tank the uh the earnings of of all the teams across the nba no it doesn't make any sense and you know the other part is I had always heard the the stories about how Jordan's dad died and how maybe it was gambling debt and all that stuff. And, you know, they brought that up. They didn't get into, like, any of the like, like people that go into depth as to what, what they think happened. Or, or Yeah, like, like the investigation or anything like that. Yeah. I thought it was interesting they left all that out. It's just – it's – I couldn't imagine – I couldn't imagine going through that as, you know, just somebody, uh, a normal citizen, right? That, you know, you've, you've got a family, your kids go to school, you go to work every day. I couldn't imagine going through a scenario where people were saying that your, your father's death is because of something that you did. But imagine that to where it's the lead story in every single newspaper, probably around the world, you know? Right. Um, and I just, I can't imagine, like, I may never do a media interview again. It, and it, it was interesting because he was already talking about, like, you know, in the Dream Team year and then leading into that 93 season, he was already telling people how tired and exhausted he was. And then, of course, they have that championship run but then you just add his father passing away and all the attention it was getting and all those articles that you mentioned that were being written. I mean, you have to imagine the amount of stress and probably anger that yeah. that led to him. And all of a sudden, the dude was a baseball player. Are, was Michael Jordan good at baseball? Or are we going to decide? Because, first of all, who the fuck knew that Terry Francona was his manager? Right. No what? idea. <laughs> no idea. I had no idea. I mean, so my co-host of my radio show, Tyler McComas, he's he played baseball in college, um, was a good player. 
And I asked him, I was like, someone put a, a tweet out about, you know, hitting 200 in double A baseball, having not played baseball at all for 14 years is like incredibly impressive. And I asked him and he said, yes, that, that is, that's a true statement. It is incredibly impressive. So I guess I would say that not great, but probably better than you would expect for a guy to walk into a professional sport. And you know what I'm saying? So I, I guess I wouldn't say, you know, there was a bunch of guys on there that said he would have made it into the majors. I don't, I mean, I won't go that far, but I, I think to hit 200, have a decent average, probably uh, if he played a couple years of, of minor league ball, would have continued to improve. But I'm not going to sit here and act like he would have made it to the bigs. I'm so excited for the Tim Tebow versus Michael Jordan as a baseball player <laughs> debate that will undoubtedly happen on oh, Monday. Sure. Like it, it, sure. it's coming. I don't know if we'll be first take or whatever show Skip Bayless is on now. That debate is coming. I can't wait for that. One of the interesting things, he went from just being the man in Chicago to all of a sudden, he was just like one of the guys in Birmingham. Right. It, 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 as the most famous athlete in the world, now all of a sudden he's playing minor league baseball. It's just, it's such a weird thing to think about because he, he just walked away in his prime. Also, you got to forget, it's not like he was – washed up or anything i mean he was in his prime and just decides you know what this is my dream i'm gonna go hit 202 for the barons well, one thing one person that pops up in episode seven and eight george kohler who is labeled as best friend and personal assistant who the hell is that guy why have we never known about that guy I don't know. Um, that is not what I pictured. What I think no. Michael Jordan, best friend and personal assistant. George is not who I had in mind. Uh, he looks like maybe his best friend from middle school or something. Um, I figured if you're like Jordan's best friend and personal assistant that, you know, considering now Jordan makes like, uh, I don't know, several hundred million dollars. A year, like even your personal assistant's going to be put to grip be put together pretty nicely right uh well not dressed. george george not is george. doing him still george just uh rocking for the big last dance documentary straight out of bed no big deal but no i he just emerged out of nowhere that was interesting um but i'll tell you what's funny about the the baseball thing like i don't know how he traveled with that team if he was in the greyhound you know making the rounds but it was funny to see that he was standing there doing an interview and I noticed he was standing in front of uh, a bank of about six lockers that all said Jordan on them. So uh, all of <laughs> one like had a forty-five, one just said Jordan forty-five, one was labeled Jordan. I was like, how many lockers does this guy get? I like it. So I'm sure there was still a little special treatment for uh, for Jordan whenever he was playing for Birmingham. Yeah, and the end of episode seven, uh, I thought there was there was some awesome things the Scotty Pippen taking himself out of the playoff game comes up and that's a story that a lot of people know but when you see his teammates talk about it on camera what a chicken shit move I, I mean and he I was shocked when Pippen said well I wouldn't go back and change it I would do the same thing what yeah how, how can you say that and I 
And Kukoc hits the shot, too. I know. If you're Pippen and you pull yourself – I mean, what's the feeling there? Because you know you're rooting for him to miss it if you're pulling of yourself course. out. Of course. I mean, if you're right? selfish enough to pull yourself out of a game in the biggest <laughs> moment because you're pissed off, yeah, you're clearly rooting for the guy to miss it. So, when you're sitting there and he drains that little turnaround jumper, you know Pippen was like, shit. <laughs> Just absolutely <laughs> – this is not how I saw this going. I did not see it coming. I love well, how Kukoc was like, well, I had hit a couple game winners. I mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is a – there's a, an interesting little theme or narrative around Pippen. Um, a couple of things that, like, I've never, I've never seen – like, I – I don't remember that happening. So whenever it came up in the in the last dance, that was kind of news to me. I'm sure I, I remember it a little like, but that you compare that with the Jordan was kind of pretty skeptical of the migraine game. Um, and then, you know, he holds himself out from the surgery. I mean, those are some interesting things that I never would have like put those things together with Pippen. Yeah, he didn't – I mean, Jordan was supposed to be the high-maintenance one, right? Right. I mean, you yep. can't have two complete divas on a team. There's only room for one of those human <laughs> beings. But I guess, I mean, once Jordan was gone, Pippen, like you said, maybe he felt like that he got too big for the game, stuff like that. I don't know. But just seeing those guys talk about it, seeing Steve Kerr talk about it, it was just one of those, holy shit, a guy actually did that? Like it's the crazy. best player actually did that. Now, my favorite, my favorite part of episode seven had to be some of the Michael Jordan quotes. He just put some stuff that they belong on posters or T-shirts. One of them was winning has a price and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they don't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they don't want to be challenged. And then <laughs> – what probably the best line of the documentary so far he said you ask all my teammates the one thing about michael jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do <laughs> right which is hey. uh, i mean it's it's so true that i i guess if you're going to demand that much of guys you have to be the tone setter and they showed the footage of him you know leading the sprints and all that stuff and you you get that combination of his skill level and then that mentality and leadership style, and that's how you end up with six championships, I suppose. I'm telling you, um, and I don't know if you've ever been around it, but I, I've, I've seen it before whenever your best player is not your hardest worker, and that creates problems on a team. Right. Whenever you've got you've got guys that um, are good enough to go out and, and be the best guy on the team most nights without putting in the effort that everyone else does, and it just and and feeling like they they deserve special treatment. And I scored I scored forty last night. Why do I need to run sprints? You know, I'm I'm doing my stuff. You know, I had three touchdowns this week why am I running after practice like everyone else as soon as guys start 
asking for special treatment, then that creates problems. Now, you know, in the locker room, in the equipment room, get to sit where they want to on the plane. Now, that stuff, that's earned through good play, right? Right. But you don't earn sitting out of practice, not having to run, not having to make your, your workout times and – and all the stuff that it takes to prepare for uh, whatever sport that you're in. As soon as you start asking for second, you know, uh, different treatment there, that's whenever the whole thing changes, man. The whole house of cards falls down. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And like you said, Jordan, clearly the best player, and it doesn't sound like anyone on planet Earth would outwork that guy. So – once again, just a tremendous combination that results in a lot of winning. And he he wasn't going to accept the guys on his team not working as hard as him. And he was going to push them and be a complete asshole at times to get the best out of them. Poor Scott Burrell, my goodness, just like a punching bag for Jordan. That clip oh, of him man. not even guarding him was – I mean, it was hilarious. but. He did what he did to get the most out of his guys. Now, did the guys like him that much? Probably not. But a lot of people would rather be respected than liked. And I think everybody that played on a team with Jordan, I assume, respected the hell out of him because he worked that hard and he pushed him to make him better. Now, he probably made him really upset, and that's why he – beat Steve Kerr up in practice, but it, it is what it is. That yeah. happens. Sometimes tippers flare, Ted. Well, I mean, here's the thing at the end of the day, you know, and it is – we look at Jordan, uh, you know, he's the greatest NBA player of all time, one of the greatest athletes of all time, and he's supposed to check every single box, right? He's, he's supposed to be the greatest player. He's supposed to be the greatest dad. He's supposed to be the greatest friend. He's supposed to be the greatest businessman and now owner. He's supposed to be those things in every, every walk of his life. But unfortunately, that's not going to be true. And at the end of the day, you know, there's – playing in the NBA or NFL or Major League Baseball, it's, it's, not, it's not an everyday job. If you're going to an everyday nine-to-five job, there needs to be a certain degree of, I need to be a nice guy, you know? <laughs> I, I need to I'll hold the door open for some people. I'll, I'll run and pick up lunch. I'll, you know, whatever. You need to be a nice person to work around, right? You need to have a, a, a good environment to work around where everyone's happy, everyone feels comfortable. Not in sports. That is not how sports are. Sports, you're there to win, right? It's not about being comfortable. It's not about making the locker room a fun atmosphere and a welcoming atmosphere. It's about wins. That's all that matters. And if it takes uh, your best player being a total asshole to bring the best out of everyone else, that being a nice guy doesn't matter. There's there's a, I'm sure there's a long list of really nice guys in the NBA. But nobody cares, right? All they care about is how many championships did you win? How many rings do you have? How many MVPs do you have? How many finals MVPs? 
So that's what they're there for. So in that sense, in the sports world, looking at Jordan, I love it. You do have to understand, though, that it, that does not translate to everyday life. It doesn't yeah. translate very can't, well. You can't know? walk into the office and just be completely rude to your coworkers. Right. And they right. and just be like, no, this is what Jordan does. This, this is cool. This is this is how leaders lead. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. Come on, work Sally. That Let's go, Sally. Get it together. Get your shit up, Sally. No, I, it, it is interesting, you know. But that combination of his greatness and that leadership, it's rare. Uh, that's what it is. It, it's really rare. And you see, there's there's a lot of people that like to talk about what the Patriots have done in new England. And there's been this conversation around there that, well, it's not fun to play there. That may be true, but winning is fun. Right. Uh, I mean, winning going and playing in AFC championship games and super bowls. That's fun. You'll put up with whatever you got to put up with on a day-to-day basis. If you win at that level. Now, where the disconnect comes is if you're not having any fun and you're grinding and you're not winning. That's where that disconnect comes into play. So, if guys are treating you terribly in a locker room and you're losing, well, yeah, there may be some problems. But like you said, it's it's not about always being super comfortable. Sometimes you get the most out of yourself when you're uncomfortable, and that's kind of when you see that growth. Now, finishing off the last dance talk, he comes back in 45. He changes it mid-series, which was a complete power move and has a nice little flashback game. But I I don't understand, and this is one of the – it's not a LeBron versus Jordan thing, but a lot of people say – and they show all the clips, hey, Jordan was tired, he wasn't in great shape, and that may be true. The guy still averaged 31 points a game in that Orlando series, yeah. the magic were just really good. Penny Hardaway, prime Horace Grant, young Shaq. Like that, that magic team doesn't get nearly enough credit. They just beat the bulls. Now you could say Jordan was tired, but he averaged 31 a game. You telling me that Shaq was a mismatch against Bill Winnington. Is that what you're <laughs> trying to tell me? <laughs> what, what's better young Shaq or current Bill Winnington's facial hair? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean to to show up mid-season and try and put it together um you know it's it's tough to do you know i'm sure he f- probably felt like this will really show him if i can show up on a bad bulls team and then take them and turn it around and go win a championship. That would be like the ultimate thing. So I'm sure he was incredibly disappointed by that, but uh, too much to ask. Um, I mean, it's, it's difficult. NBA is a grind, which, you know, I think they, they probably made a little too much of the being tired and not, I mean, if you're playing full NBA games every night, you're going to get into basketball shape pretty quick. You know, you would assume, and he played like twenty something games leading up to the playoffs. Right. It's not like he stepped off of the diamond and and went directly into the playoff matchup against the Magic. But um, yeah, I mean, they ran up against a good Orlando team. Um, they needed they needed to add some things. They had that 
the roster was not the same as it was during their championship run, and they needed to address some different holes that they had on that team for sure. Yeah, but my only other takeaways from episode eight, uh, Joe Pitka, the Space Jam director, my gosh, that guy's got an interesting <laughs> look to him. He seems like a guy that would direct Space Jam. Um, Looks just like you would expect. And then George Carl, that whole story about him not saying hello to Jordan, I thought that was weird. It, it seems like that, along with the LeBradford Smith, like Jordan just invents these things in his mind, literally, like just makes them up. But it's so he can use it as motivation and it worked for him. So I guess more power to the guy. If, and he's still pissed off about it, by the way. You could see the venom whenever he was talking about George Carl not uh, talking to him before the game or whatever. But if George Carl had said, hey, good luck, Michael, well, it would have been the next guy on the bench. Like, Detlef Shrimp didn't say, you know, good luck. This, yeah, it would have been something He would have else. found something. Right. It would have been, it would have been something else. So it does – I mean, and he's going to find it. It's, it's going to – I mean, he embeds it deep into his brain and it lives there forever. It, yeah. It's – I mean – The guy's it's a, a psycho. He's, he's psychotic, man. He, awesome. he really is. He really is. And I guess the only guy that he did, didn't hold a lifelong grudge against was his uh, security guard that beat him in the quarter toss. Yeah. That's the only we, guy. We saw another uh, appearance from what I think his name yeah. was, Wozniak or whatever, just yeah. walking through the hall. Gosh, that mullet is still flowing. <laughs> now we're going to get to some college football talk. We know that's why you guys are listening to this podcast, but let, let's finish up a little FGTB with some news out of the NBA that came out over the weekend. Some really interesting stuff. Uh, a lot of people with how progressive the NBA has been felt that the NBA may lead the way regarding sports coming back. But there were some interesting things that came out about Adam Silver's conference call with the players. Uh, the most encouraging thing for me was that play wouldn't be stopped if they get up and go again, right? If the NBA starts playing games again, that play wouldn't be stopped if a player tests positive because they think they would have the proper protocols. They think they would have proper availability to testing that they wouldn't have to shut everything down if a guy tests positive um, I thought it'd be it was interesting that it sounds like if they come back it's going to be a one city scenario now whether that's you know the Walt Disney set up there in Orlando or somewhere in Vegas I think it'll be interesting to see how that whole concept develops but the most interesting and intriguing thing to me was that if the season resumes, it doesn't sound like there's going to be fans. And that's something that when you think about it, it doesn't feel like that would be a great environment to play basketball in. Uh, right. I, I think that would really change how NBA games, especially the playoff games, feel. But at this point, we don't really care. No. Because UFC this weekend, everyone was skeptical about there being no fans. It was awesome with no fans. You could hear everything. And it made you realize how hard those guys hit each other. Ow. 
<laughs> extremely painful. I was like, oh, no, my no. gosh, stop. Well, I mean, th- that's exactly right. You know, one thing that's cool, just put this in a football perspective, one thing that's cool about going to a practice is, you know, whether you're there in the practice or you're just like standing on the sideline watching is you can hear everything. You can hear the quarterback in center talking about the protection. You can hear the, um, the corner talking to the safety about the route that's coming or, or what coverage they're checking to. You know, you can hear the coaches on the sideline yelling the personnel grouping and, and what formation it is and what combinations to look for. You can hear everything. And that's what I imagine it'll be like in the NBA. You know, instead of just hearing the sneakers and the, the organ playing in the background, and you know, the same songs that we hear in every arena, you know, I, you'll be able to hear guys, you know, the coaches from the sideline. Uh, you know, the, the point guard setting up the play and the guys talking down low about shifting and, and, you know, switching picks and stuff like that. It's probably going to be really cool if they do it, which I'm starting to be pretty skeptical. Yeah, it's, it's going to be here's, here's the reason. I think we're all hoping it happens, but. Major League Baseball and NBA have something that the, the NFL does not, and that is incredibly strong players unions and players smaller rosters with players that make a ton of money so there's very few guys on a major league baseball team really spread out throughout the league that are paycheck to paycheck guys right in the nfl the bulk of your roster are minimum salary guys right so at this point the players unions for major league baseball and NBA are like, yeah, we'll just play next year. You know, uh, why would we start now? And that's going to be, that's the biggest, that's why major league baseball has had about 20 proposals. It's something new about every third day. Well, why don't we play here? And why don't we do this? And okay, we can, now we can try our own stadiums and you haven't heard any, like nothing's happened because the players union just like, eh, nah, we're in no rush to get We're back. We're good. We're good. Why don't we just play next year? So the NFL is not going to have that problem. The NFL is going to have the guys clamoring to get out onto the field and make a paycheck. So those, that's the two like, differences between the NBA Major League Baseball and the NFL. The, the, the players NFL's, can survive quite a bit easier. And the NFL is also like, eh, our reputation's already – it is what it is. It's right. fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> no, but – I think we're all hoping that the NBA can finish out this season. Would love to see what the Thunder would be able to do in any type of playoff scenario, but I guess we just got to wait and see. It's going to be really interesting. I I got a lot of faith in Adam Silver and the leadership there in the NBA, but yeah, like you said, they're, they're dealing with some issues that the National Football League does not have to deal with. And that is football guys talking basketball. That was kind of a long one. Kind of a, we made a it lot, through it. lot of hoops talk, uh, but we know why y'all are actually here, and that is to hear us talk some college football and some college football news. Now, something this weekend truly baffled me, Ted. And I do mean baffled. When I read it, I read these things back to back, and I couldn't believe it. I laughed out loud. We talked about 
all the different types of statements from conference commissioners made last week. We referenced uh, the article by Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel uh, from The Athletic where they had talked to a bunch of Power Five commissioners. Well, apparently there was some sort of disconnect possibly because Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, came out and said this, and this is a direct quote, all of the Division I commissioners and every president that I've talked to is in clear agreement, if you don't have students on campus, you don't have student athletes on campus, which sounds perfectly reasonable. But we talked about, hey, what does an open campus look like? Would they be able to manipulate this? How many students really need to be back on campus? to have student-athletes, uh, in particular football players, back so that football season happens. The same day that Mark Emmert says this, the same fucking day, <laughs> Bob Bowlesby comes out and says that student-athletes could compete with only online classes happening, meaning that the students, the regular students, or the NARPs, as uh, some people may know them that were student-athletes in college, normal-ass regular people, <laughs> they wouldn't need to be there. But Mark Emmert just said that it's not happening if they're not there. But then you got a commissioner of the Big 12 saying, no, 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 that's fine, on the same day, Teddy. And it just led me to realize that college football is this well-oiled machine right? When everything's going right, when the train is on the tracks. But when you hit this unprecedented adversity with the coronavirus and how this is changing everything, I think it shows a flaw in the college football system. And that is there is not a true leader of college football. Whether it's what I don't care what you call it, the president of college football, the governor, the czar, czar would be a badass title for sure. But when these decisions need to be made and when one person kind of needs to take charge, college football doesn't have that. And I think that's starting to show because you've got different commissioners saying different things. It doesn't seem like all those, these, Commissioners are talking every single day. They're all saying different shit publicly. And it's starting to confuse me. I, I don't know where we're at. I, I feel like this lack of a single leader when it comes to these tough decisions, it, it's kind of hurting college football right now. There ain't no doubt about it. Okay? There, there is no doubt about it. You've got um, – just, just take the Big 12, for example. You've got one day, you know, the commissioner is supposed to be the voice of the athletic directors, the presidents, um, the, all the athletic programs, right? Whenever it comes to making uh, national statements about what's going on in that conference, he's supposed to be the, the voice that gives a little bit of clarity as to what's going on. But there, there is not – Bowlesby, as we talked about in previous episodes, is out there shooting from the hip about, I don't know how we could play in the Cotton Bowl for the, you know, OU Texas game. You know, so you've got, you've got different people shooting from the hip just within a conference. Then you try and talk about Power Five, 
right? And not having a, a one voice there. And it's really, it comes at a time whenever everything's highly political, right? You, you got Mark Emmert, who is scared to say anything right now, because if he says the wrong thing, it's like, oh, well, all you care about is dollar Pay bills. the players. Pay the players, right? So he's got to tread lightly on, on whatever happens there. So you've got, uh, you've got different coaches speaking out of turn as to what they feel like should happen. You know, Gundy had his moment. You know, James Franklin had his. So there's, there's all these different people that are speaking out. And you're always going to get that in one form or another. But the NCAA has always had a huge problem as to, you know, who exactly is steering the ship. And look at the college football playoff. How long did it take to get a playoff? 100 years? <laughs> yeah, right. Took 100 years plus to get a college football playoff. Um, you know, they can't agree on kickoff rules. They can't agree on when you can have a summer camp and recruit at a summer camp. They can't recruit, decide on anything. There is no unifying voice. The NCAA, a lot of people look to the NCAA, and it's really not necessarily their call. You know, it's, I mean, it's not, especially, body, but. especially in college football where they're not even involved in the college right. football playoff. No, I think a so, lot of people don't realize that. No. And it's, it's, so it's a, it's a really weird scenario. That's whenever you would like uh, conference commissioners to, to stand up. And if you can't give certainty, right, which is very difficult. Right now with what's going on, all the different changes, it's a week-by-week, day-by-day type of situation. So you can't give certainty about a season or about are we going to play in front of fans or uh, when are the players going to be back on campus. You don't know that. So at least provide some clarity to the situation. Tell us what's happening. Tell us what you're going through. Tell us what the preparations are. Have everyone kind of on the same page and move forward and we're just not getting that from anyone. It's it's a rudderless ship right now, for sure. Yeah, I think this is kind of just showing one of the weak spots of college football, and that's that there's not strong leadership at times. And it, I'm not saying that the university presidents and the athletic directors aren't great at what they do, but when not it all comes, of them are. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, that's, that's some true. Of them are, some of some them of suck them at what they do. Some of right. them are very good. But I just think it's really interesting that Mark Emmert, he, he comes out and, and throws his opinion out there when his opinion really doesn't matter. Because I, I know he's the figurehead there for the NCA, but the NCA really is just the schools and the leadership at those schools. So Mark Emmert can say what he wants, but – when it comes to college football, what he says doesn't carry much weight in my mind. That's why I'm paying the most attention to these conference commissioners, and these guys are all saying different things. And it's very confusing, and I would love at some point in time for a Goodell-like figure to just be like, all right, everyone, shut up. Like, If right. you don't have anything – really good to say than just hold off. I, I, I don't know. I just, it, it Think just about this though. to show that lack I, of leadership. Again, we've got a, we got a political ordeal going on, right? It, it's a, it's a health pandemic, but it's also very political, right? And it's also very regionalized. So 
football is the biggest in the South, right? That's where it's, that's where the fan base is the most intense. That's where, um, you know, it's, it's, I guess it means more, so to speak, uh, out on the West coast. It means more. That would be a stupid <laughs> slogan out on the West coast. It's a completely different environment, right? It's completely different. That's it means why, less. That's what right. the Pac-12. That's what the Pac-12 slogan should be. It, should. it just means less. So you've got the SEC commissioner saying we're ready to move forward if whether we've got all schools on board or not, right? And then you have the Big Ten, one of the coaches saying the same thing, and then the Pac-12 commissioner is like, no, no, we've got to have but everyone. <laughs> Larry Scott's like, hey, hey, no, 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 we're all in this college football playoff system together. United we stand, baby. It's like, no, you just know that your institutions don't care right? the they way that care. some of these other conferences care. They just don't. It's true. I mean, it's just the truth. It's not a like knock on the We saw the, the governor of Oregon already for September already ruled that they can't have games with fans in attendance. That would never happen. In Oklahoma, in Texas, in any SEC state, it that would happen. never happen. Well, at least Oregon's not playing any important games at home. Yeah, I mean, it's not like uh, Ohio State, Oregon, top 10 best non-conference game of the years out there or anything, you know? <laughs> I Hey, I would like to extend an invitation. I don't know where they'd play it, but if they want to come play that game in Oklahoma City or in Norman, hey, come on down, guys. We'll host you. would love to watch that game in person. They're going to play that game in front of fans, whether it's in Vegas. Oregon or Alaska or Moscow or Vegas. It, they're going to play that game in front of fans somewhere. But it's like, so you've got these, you've got conference commissioners, you've got athletic directors, football coaches that are like, no, no, we're gearing up. We're ready to play the season. We're approaching this thing as normal. And then your governor says, no, we're not, we're not having any, any sporting events in front of crowds. And then, you, you know, so it's, it's this – balancing act between mayors municipalities state governments federal government uh power five conferences university presidents athletic directors i mean it is it's a lot to juggle it really is yeah a lot of moving parts a lot of voices it would be kind of nice if there was maybe one or two that could just calm everything down a little bit but hey uh, we have the system we have, and it is what it is. Now, before we move on to some segments, we do have some local college football news. First, and most importantly, Teddy, you got fooled by a fake Twitter account. Uh, do you want to explain yourself, or do you want me to make fun of you? You can make fun of me. Um, I got fooled. I thought the, uh, I thought the Williams kid was going to announce his – where he was going tonight, uh, I sent it to you. You know, hey, we got to talk about this tonight, and you're like, no, you, you're an idiot. You, <laughs> you sent it. So Caleb Williams, five-star quarterback out of the DC area, um, he has dwindled it down to three schools. Oklahoma's one of them. Now, the the tweet you sent me, the account had 11 followers. Teddy, did did you not check that? <laughs> I didn't check it because I saw it from from someone else, right? Like I don't follow. It was on the timeline. You, yeah, I don't. I don't follow any 
high school recruits. I just saw it on the timeline. If it was on the timeline, it was would have been from someone in sports that I follow. So I was just like, oh, interesting. Good. Because, That'd you know, be fun to talk about. Yeah. So was I the only one? Was everyone else like, what an idiot? No. I mean, there was okay. – I, I saw that makes it. Me, <laughs> safety in numbers. <laughs> I, I saw it from multiple people, and I was like, huh, that seems like – I was like, yeah, on Mother's Day, that seems like a weird time to commit. I'm going to click on it, and then I saw that it was fake. I was like, ooh, this is going to get some people because they'd even – listen, man, people have too much time on their hands. Like, <laughs> right. they, they've, got, they've got the picture on the fake Twitter account the same as the kids on his real account. Well, why do people do this shit? I don't understand. Like, I guess if you're just really bored on a Sunday night, I, go do I some chores for your mom, right? Cook exactly. your mom dinner, you know, make a run to the store, do something for your mom instead of uh, screwing with high school recruits. Yeah. No, another interesting thing here in the state of Oklahoma and the college football world, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, it sounds like he may have quarantined with justice hill in baltimore and picked his brain been working out together been eating together just hill teaching him already how to be a pro i think this is a really smart move for chuba hubbard when you look at chuba hubbard's strengths clearly the guy is powerful and fast as all hell now you'd like to see growth as a receiver and in blitz pickup. And those were two things that Justice Hill did really, really well at Oklahoma State. He had great hands out of the backfield, and he was good, even as a smaller guy, at sticking his nose in there and laying it on a linebacker coming on a blitz. So I wonder what exactly they worked on. Chuba Hubbard said he's not going to tell any of us what they were doing what they were talking about, but anytime you can attach yourself to a guy that's doing it at the highest level. Now, I, I think that's a smart veteran move by Chuba Hubbard, Ted. No, I like it. Um, for sure. Pick his brain a little bit, but I'll take a different spin on this. Where did justice Hill go to school? Oklahoma state. So he's an alumni. Oh, so, I see what you're I, – I think I know where you're going with it, but if you have a previous relationship established, I believe if you're – you sound like you want to do some sniffing around there. What a, you know, who was all paying I'm for say, the training, you know, some of this. All I'm saying is who's picking up the dinner tab? Who's um, – is he driving your car around? That's all I'm saying, Gabe. Hey. You oh, know it's fine. I, Justice Hill better be paid for everything, right? No He's doubt. He's the one hey. making money. No doubt. I'm, I'm joking with that uh, only halfway. But, uh, no, dude, if you are a college football player and you have an opportunity to go pick the brain for an a extended time from an NFL player, dude, I remember – whenever um, I was at OU and some of the guys would come back in the summer to work out, all I could think is like, well, what it, what's it like? Like, how hard is it? How hard are the practices? You know, what's the, what's the, you know, the workout regiment like? I mean, that's, that's all you're doing, right? It's just trying to figure out what it's like at the next level. So 
yeah, to be able to spend some extended time with the guy, you know, how much is he actually going to learn from it? I don't know. I mean, more than anything, it's a good opportunity to, to learn good habits really from both guys, right? If you're Justice Hill and you've got all this free time on your hands uh, and you know there's a guy there looking to you as a bit of a mentor, well, you're going you're gonna to toe the line a little bit better. You're going to be you know, showing some work ethic a little bit more, some study habits a little bit more. And the same thing from a young guy that's trying to impress an older guy that you're, you're going to show that you're willing to work and you want to know you're hungry for more information. So all in all, probably a really good thing for both guys yeah both getting a lot out of it i would assume and gives you something to do during the quarantine you know like hey justice hill they they can't be at the facility they're in baltimore chuba hubbard everything in stillwater's been closed down join forces uh, i like it i i think it's a smart move by chuba hubbard and i like how you broke that down it's Sounds smart move for Justice Hill, too. I still want to know how much he paid for rent for the 50 days. I want to know who paid for gas. $7. (laughs) One more piece of interesting information here in state on the recruiting trail. Kendall Daniels, who is a four-star defensive back from Beggs. Go Golden Demons. Metropolis. The beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, he has dwindled his list down to four, and this is one of the kind of the highest risers in the state of Oklahoma. Everyone wants this kid. He has dwindled it down to Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M. So it sounds like old Kendall Daniels has a tough decision to make because those are, other than A&M, those are some pretty, pretty solid spots. Yeah, well – I mean, even A&M, say what you want about how they've performed. They've recruited some, some big-name guys. They've recruited for, well. They just keep forgetting right. the whole let's win yeah, more they than eight they got to win football. Um, you know, Oklahoma recently has struggled a little bit keeping some of the, the, the you know, nationally notable top recruits in state. Um, uh, we lost the Dax Hill kid to Michigan. The Proctor uh, kid to uh, Ohio State. Right. So this is this is big. I mean, if, if they can keep him in state at OU, you've got to consider that a massive win, uh, you know, in comparison to some of the, the recent years going on here. So, um, you know, I, I think they've got a good shot at him. We'll see what happens. Uh, I know he's got great length. Uh, great athleticism for a defensive back, and that's what Alex Grinch has been wanting. So I think he checks all the boxes for him. We'll just have to wait and see do, if they can develop that relationship. Do Do you ever think that – and, I mean, we're both from Oklahoma. We both went to OU. It, it was my dream to play there. I think you would say the same thing. But do you ever think that with how national OU recruits now that they just – maybe not overlook, but don't give some of these local kids the attention they feel like they deserve, especially with how kids expect to be recruited now. You know, that they expect to be wined and dined and just, you know, completely pampered through this process. Do do you think some of the Oklahoma kids, just because they're here, that maybe OU overlooks them and maybe doesn't give them the red carpet, red carpet treatment, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, had, I went through the recruiting process a long time ago, but I know that 
OU didn't recruit me the, the way that they recruited a lot of the nationally ranked kids. Yeah. I mean, I think it all has to do with, you know, where do you fall on the, on the priority list? You know, if, if we're going to bring in five defensive backs in a class and you're the fifth best defensive back that we're targeting, well, I think you're going you're gonna to fall there on the priority list, whether you're from Oklahoma or you're from, you know, Washington, D.C. or California. If you're the number one guy that we want at that position grouping, you're going to be treated as such, whether you're from Oklahoma or, or wherever else. I honestly don't think. At least with, I can't speak too much of the with the last, you know, defensive coaching staff as as these guys that I don't think they're taking anything for granted. And what I really like that they're doing is they are finding guys that they believe will have success in their system, whether they're a three star, four star, or five star. They're finding guys that they want, that they like, that they think can be really good players in, the, in, this, in this system, um, be foundational guys for them that are going to come in, do the work, um, take on the mindset of, of what they want to instill in their guys. That's why you look at the Stutzman kid out of Florida, three-star kid out of Florida, and OU wanted him bad. Okay, so, you know, that, I think that's just kind of a case in point that if, if you fit the scheme – and you fit the mindset, and you've got you check all the boxes athletically. They're gonna they're gonna lay down everything they can to get you in. And whether you're Oklahoma or Florida, so if they feel that highly about the kid from Beggs, they're they're gonna do everything they can to get him here. Yeah, but the bottom line, it, I've never thought it really matters where you're from. If you can play, you can play. And coaches, they got to trust their evaluation of guys, and it's hard. It's really hard, to, and I know there's a lot more film available now with everything out there, but it's still hard to evaluate high school players because the competition's different. I mean, you're talking about different areas of the country. Like, it's just difficult, and that's why you miss on some guys, but OU's got to continue to keep the best talent in the state of Oklahoma. You, you ever Oklahoma. been to Beggs? Once, I full full disclosure. I I'm not planning on going back anytime soon, but you never know. Maybe maybe Beggs will be calling my name here in a sec. I I don't know, Teddy. Beggs is to to people that don't know. It's on the eastern side of the state, and it is off the beaten path. It's not near a major highway. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it is a tiny tiny town. And the reason I say that is if if you're from Beggs, Oklahoma, and you are a national recruit, highly sought after by a bunch of people, I, I wonder what, what the mindset is like that I can go from Beggs, Oklahoma to, to Clemson or to like all these different places, if that makes it harder for OU to keep them in state. You know what I'm saying? Other than yeah, other than no. kids that have have, you know, like from a bigger area, see a lot more people. Maybe aren't as as drawn from uh, being able to go all over the place. I don't know. It's just it's interesting whenever you you think about Beggs and how small and off the beaten path that that place is for a highly sought after guy and what 
what that kind of is mentality wise for him and what it means. You got to, you got to hope that town does some recruiting for you. If you're the Sooners, no right? Hey, no doubt. You, you, you want to be playing in Norman in front of 85,000 people. I mean, that's hopefully the good people of bags are helping Lincoln Riley out. Uh, I'm sure they're putting their best recruiting pitch out there. Now, Ted, let's finish up with a couple segments. Uh, we're good. We'll get right to our winners and losers of the weekend. Who do you got this weekend, Ted? Well, for winner, and I know we've talked about this quite a bit already, but I had to go with the last dance because I, I'm kind of following along on Twitter during the last dance. And I went to the trending stuff on Twitter and this is what showed up on the trending page in order and just one after another Sean Kemp, Craig Sager, Terry Francona, legalized Kemp. Um, I can't read my own, uh, Steve Kerr, BJ Armstrong, Scott Burrell, Reggie Miller, Glenn Rice, The Last Dance, It Was Good Until It Wasn't, George Carl, Nick Anderson. That's what was trending on Twitter all at one time. Literally everything from the show. Almost like the transcript of the entire show was trending on Twitter. So I don't know what their ratings have looked like on these things, but it feels like every single person in the United States is on and watching while this thing is going down. And I know they didn't plan it this way, but ESPN much needed for them. Michael Jordan is getting a ton of FaceTime with a generation that really, you know, remembers it, but doesn't really know what all went on and went into it. And I'll include myself in that. You know, I was young, through the through the 90s when they were going on their 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 runs so to see it all again is is huge and i think the the connection michael jordan is getting with another era of fans is something that i don't think any of the older guys have ever gotten yeah just imagine how many pairs of jordans are going to be sold after that they're going to re-release all of them he is going to make a gazillion dollars i'm pretty sure that's a number gazillion if they, that's what they should do. They should just re-release all of the classic Jordans, put them at an absurd price, and every kid in America will want to buy them. I will buy them all. I can guarantee it. They should do <laughs> I, it, Ted. I honestly think they've already re-released all of them about 10 times. I, they, I, I don't know what else they do. I mean, it doesn't matter what they put out. If they're legitimate Jordan brand shoes, people are going to buy them in droves. As long as it's got the Jumpman logo on it, that's all that matters. Yeah, definitely. Those things will sell well long after MJ is gone. Who'd you have for your loser of the weekend? I hate to make it all last dance, but Scottie Pippen, man, that Mm. cut me deep. That cut me deep. Never in my mind – like. If someone asked me, you know, in, in, in professional sports, would guys ever do something like that? I'd be like, are you kidding me? The amount of money no on the line, way. the amount of uh, eyeballs watching, what the rest of the league, what the locker room thinks of you, uh, your family at home, the guys you played in college with, are you kidding me? There's no one would ever intentionally pull themselves out of a game 
in the most pivotal moment in a playoff series. No one would do that. Dude, are you kidding me? And I love Pippen. I'm telling you, I love the guy. And throughout this this documentary, I've loved him even more, learning more about his backstory and, and some of the different things that he's gone through in his life. I just – I was – jaw hit the floor whenever I saw that he took himself out of that game. And then said that he wouldn't change it if he had a second chance at it. I – that was – like I get it happened, right? We, we've all done some things in our lives in a moment where you're like, wait, why did I just do that? Now it wasn't in the NBA playoffs in front of millions of people for most of us. But to say that you didn't regret it, that part did shock me. Because you're, you, you have the chance to say, yeah, what I did, that was fucked up. Like, I should have never done that. I shouldn't have done that to my teammates. And to say you wouldn't have changed it, I was sitting there going, does he know what he's saying? Like, and he, and Scotty Pittman has come off in this entire documentary really well, I feel like. You know, people have been like, oh, he was drastically underpaid. He was such a good player. You know, Jordan was the man, but he wouldn't have been Jordan without Pippen. Like, these are things that we've all been talking about. But, man, that was a bad look, Ted, a bad no. look. Dude, now I'm like, well, I wouldn't have paid his ass either. If it <laughs> Jerry Krause was right. <laughs> Biggest game of the season. He's just like, no, I'm good. Can you imagine – how do you even walk into the locker room the next day? I mean, after the game is one thing, everyone's heated, whatever. But after you've had time to think about it, go home, sleep on it, wake up the next day. As soon as you open your eyes, you know it's the first thing you think about. How do you even drag yourself into that locker room? I just – I would pay good money to see the video. They were talking about how Bill Cartwright gave the speech after the game and he was right. crying. Oh, that is the content I crave. No doubt. I, Biggest I just, loser, though, man. I mean, I, that changed my opinion of Pippen. Sorry. No, I, I, I feel you on that. Uh, my winner of the weekend, the National Football League. It seems like the NFL is winning a lot of things right now, but the schedule comes out, and it's just got great things all over it. You know, all of these big-time matchups in week one. You've got the Chiefs and the Texans, the Saints and the Bucks, the Ravens and Browns, 49ers and Cardinals. You know, all these really intriguing matchups in the opening week. But also, it was crafted very intelligently, which is why it's my winner of the weekend. Because when you look at it, week one, you've got all those – Big-time games. Week two, every team has the same bye week as their week two opponent. That is not a coincidence at all. There are no division games in weeks three or four. So basically, the NFL came out and told us that, hey, we're the plan is we are playing week one. And then we're going to reassess. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to see what kind of response we get from fans. What kind of PR nightmare are we in? Or are people all about it? How do the players feel? Is there some sort of outbreak on a team or anything like that? 
because then you can push things back. It's clear they're going to play week one, in my mind, unless, you know, something changes. But the fact that they can just push those week two games to that bye week and that they can just bump those week three and week four games and tack them on to the end of the season, I thought it was incredibly well thought out by the NFL, Ted. No, it was. And um, my co-host at Sports Talk 1400 and I were talking about this the other day, and he brought it up. College football, they should have a centralized scheduling, right? And can you imagine college football if everyone found out their schedule on the same day, how awesome that would be? Be and awesome. If, if you didn't know your non-conference game and what your matchups were going to be, uh, how awesome that would be. Um, and I know it's like – There'd be a three-hour special anchored by Reese Davis, undoubtedly. Right. There's no doubt. It, it would be so cool. And, like, it's something that would never happen because of the way the athletic directors set it up. But could you imagine finding out in, in April that you're going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama or you're going to play Penn State or you're hosting – uh, Michigan or something like that. And I don't know. I think that would be so awesome. And just the fact NFL has really shown the rest of the sports world, how you can make a huge ratings event out of absolutely anything. The NFL can make a show out of absolutely anything and they're going to continue to do it. There's going to be more and more that they add. It's just it's free revenue for them, and they're the best in the world at creating that content. Yeah, and they may have to lead the way. I mean, hopefully, I, I, I doubt that we're without sports for that long, but you never know. Maybe it's Roger Goodell and the bad boys of the National Football League that bring professional sports back in this country. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it'll be interesting. UFC, that was – I will say that was pretty cool. That was honorable mention for my winner of the weekend. Now, my loser of the weekend, it, it is a little interesting because I like a lot of what this guy said, but I don't think he's genuine about it at all. And that is young Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> now, he said some really good things in his open letter, right? I like the five years of eligibility, red shirt, be damned concept. Uh, I think that allowing players to leave early, okay. Uh, I don't think there's many people in college football after their freshman or sophomore year that are ready for the National Football League. But if you want to give them that choice, okay. They This is the United States of America. You have the freedom to make that choice. I can even get on board with that, sure. Uh, now – Players going undrafted, being able to come back to school, I think that's a logistics nightmare. But okay, maybe I'm pro player, sure. Let's let's get on board with that, fine. But Jim Harbaugh is my loser of the weekend because he has framed all of this trying to make himself look very pro player. Like, it's about the kids, right? You want them to have as many choices as possible. Jim Harbaugh's never beat Ohio State at Michigan. 
<laughs> right. Ever. And I find it very interesting that if there's going to be any schools that would have kids leave after freshman, after their freshman or their sophomore year, it would be a school like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, maybe even an Oklahoma player. Mm-hmm. Michigan, maybe they would have a couple of those. But I don't think Jim Harbaugh is genuine about this at all. This has nothing to do with what's best for the kids, in my mind. This has everything to do with him being 2-11 and 11 against top 10 teams since he took over that job. In Aaron if Harbaugh. you can't beat them, send all their players to the NFL. That's what I'm saying. Am I crazy for thinking that I don't when, – when I was reading this, I was like, okay, yeah, this is very pro player. Okay, got it. Yeah, let them have choices. Okay. And then I started thinking about it. Wouldn't Ohio State be one of the schools that would lose the most guys going super early in the draft? Yeah, probably. Maybe this is Harbaugh trying to actually beat Ohio State by using their talent against them and being like, no, this is what we need to do. We need to let these these guys that have these huge freshman years, they need to be able to go to the NFL. They're ready. I was like, I see what you're doing, Jim. You're not getting it past me, bud. Not in those little goofy glasses. Trying to beat the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes with the little legalese I see there. Uh, pencil whip them. Nope, not going to happen. I will say this, though. I, I can get behind guys that leave early, don't get drafted, coming back. Now, is there – does that change some things as far as that spring semester for those guys declaring? Um, yes, but I don't think they should have to declare. I think that this gives them a reason to stay in school. A lot of these guys' strength and conditioning programs are just as good or even better than what they're going to go do in, and prepare, prepare for a pro day. Essentially, that's what you're doing anyways is preparing for your, your 40s, bench press and all that stuff at your respective school. Um, I know in hindsight for me, even though I didn't leave early, I wish I would have just stayed at OU and gone to school that spring semester and trained with Schmitty before the, the combine and everything. So I think it can be done, and I think it would fix a lot of those problems of, of guys – you know, feeling like they've got no, no, no other choice but to leave at that point going undrafted. I think that's a – it's one of the biggest travesties in, in all of sports that you take a good athlete that's a good player out of school who's getting bad advice, leaves, doesn't get drafted, doesn't go to a camp or make a team, and then now he's left with no degree and no football. I think if we can do anything to mitigate that, I'm all for it. Yeah, and that that was one of the things that Harbaugh put in that letter was there'd be some sort of sliding scale to where the school would still be responsible for a guy's academics, which I completely support. But He would um, probably even say that Michigan will actually pay for the schooling of any Ohio State player that wants to leave after one year. Yes, that would, <laughs> I mean, that would be a good deal for him. Um, honorable mention, loser of the weekend. Uh, goes to Gina Ford, 
who was the former marketing agent for Zion Williamson, who served requests in her company's lawsuit asking the asking Zion to admit he received money, benefits, favors, or other things of value before enrolling at Duke. Now, there's a lot of legal reasons for this. She's trying to prove something. She's got like a $100 million lawsuit going against Zion uh, for breach of contract, all this stuff that I'm not smart enough to understand. But yeah, we all know he got stuff to go to Duke. No one fucking cares. <laughs> we were incredibly entertained. Gina, just calm down. Don't do, don't. Hey, I want him to admit that he got stuff to go to Duke. Everyone and their dog knows he got stuff to Duke. Now maybe Coach K and is all uh, mightier than thou <laughs> attitude. Maybe rubs some people the wrong way, but we all know he got some stuff to go to Duke. It's fine. No one cares. Yeah, that would be one of the least shocking things I've ever I ever found. I would out be offended was- if he didn't get money <laughs> to go to Duke, right? <laughs> Right. I mean, on the same, same like uh, uh, topic, though, it looks like the NCAA is actually going to do something with Kansas. We'll see. It's still early. They're going at it, it. It actually sounds like they're going to do something. I thought that I've been hammering Bill Self for about a year straight over this deal. And uh, making fun of the NCAA and the fact that they're just going to, oh, no big deal, nothing to see here. But, man, I was pretty shocked by some of the statements they put out. Egregious, they say. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Kansas basketball because, yeah, things are getting a little, uh, little heated with those official statements from the NCAA and then Kansas firing back at them. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people – in college basketball that wouldn't mind seeing Kansas go down. I, for one, I don't want to see that happen. Uh, I really don't. I think that would be bad for the Big 12. Uh, I really do. So we'll we'll see. It's certainly getting interesting, though. Ted, we'll finish this up with what has become a fan favorite segment, and that is keeping it local. That's where we highlight something going on in the great state of Oklahoma and a big story from the weekend. Joe Harris named the 15th president at the University of Oklahoma. They ripped off the interim tag on our guy, Joe, and said, you are permanent, sir. And what does he do, Ted? First thing he does, we want football in the fall. A deep desire he says, for football to be played in Norman, Oklahoma in the fall. I was waiting, I for, I was waiting for someone off camera to toss him a beer, and he was going to grab it, pop the top, and shotgun it right there on camera. Um, I will say this. I was shocked. Um, not that they offered him. I was hoping that they would. <laughs> I was shocked that he took it. As... <laughs> Everything that po- could have possibly happened over the first year that he since he's taken over racist, this interim day, racist scandal pandemic everything it has been an oil absolute nightmare. He has handled it perfectly. I mean, it's been the most difficult year anyone could ever have had as an interim year as a university president. 
He's taken it all in stride. I think he's done a fantastic job. He's, he's shown some tremendous leadership at some very difficult moments. Um, he's said some things that there was an easier road to go down, but I think he took the correct path and issued some statements at a tough time, knowing full well that there was going to be some blowback, but he stayed the course. I think he's done an outstanding job. I really do. Couldn't yeah. be happier. I know uh, you and I, we've, we've talked to Joe a little bit. I haven't hung out a ton with him or anything like that, but have been very nice to me fun guy to talk to and uh, I feel very very good about the leadership position there at the University of Oklahoma because if he can go through all this shit I think he'll be (laughs) just fine so uh, congratulations to Joe Harris being named the permanent president there at the University of Oklahoma all right Ted we've got a couple different Twitter questions we got some interesting ones today for you to field and the first one comes from Southside Tony on Twitter at OU Army one what is your go-to hot food item at a convenience store uh hot food at a convenience store which I'm I'm not even going to pretend that I eat hot food items at a convenience store now of course if I stop by a Loves and they got the rolling grill going, you know, maybe I, I grab a hot dog. But they, they do have those things called – I think they're called tornadoes. There's like a bacon, egg, and cheese one that's like spicy. I'm, I've eaten a few of those. A, if a few. I, if I'm grabbing a hot item, it's, it's, it's not going to be – I'm not taking a hot dog off the spinning wiener machine. I'm not going to do that. I'm taking something that looks like it's been thrown in a deep fryer for half of a day. I'm pretty sure the spinning wiener machine is what they called Earl Thomas and his brother's (laughs) Airbnb. (laughs) Insert joke here, right? I want to take something that looks like it's been – it's been cooked so long in the deep fryer that there's no chance that any organism could be alive on it. And that's usually going to be uh, a chicken tender. When I use the term tender loosely, it's more like a a chicken rock. They've been deep fried so long, but that's where I I think I would go. The chicken tenders, the chicken tenders. Yeah. Chicken tenders is always a good choice. It's it's this, I think it's the safest bet. Let's, let's all be clear here. We never want to eat anything hot from a convenience store. One, one interesting thing, and not all gas stations or truck stops may have them, but if you can find a place that has a microwave and they sell like the Butter Lovers popcorn, yes, and you I was can gonna pop say that. it in the convenience store and then take it and eat it in your car, I mean, fresh popcorn is undefeated it that so that's always a good wild card but you got to find it and not everyone has it not everyone has it the thing with hot food at a convenience store and everyone knows this there there is there's always give and take with with every decision in life and whenever you eat some type of hot food from a convenience store you know full well that when it goes in it's a it's a short term fix 
there's a long-term problem because <laughs> it's got to come out and it's never the same. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I'm biting the bullet for a little short term. Put me at ease. I'm hungry. I've been on the road. But we all know we're going to be paying for it later. Yeah. Yeah. It's life's all about choices and, and there's consequences, <laughs> consequences. For those choices. Uh, next question comes from Stephen Carter on Twitter at Stephen Carter 96. He says, going back to the Adele talk and weight loss, what on earth do you guys do to stay in shape eating wise, working out and everything y'all are looking fit. How about that? Compliments. Stephen Carter, the check is in the mail. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, I like to work out. I've been lifting weights at some capacity since I was like 12 years old. So I've been doing it my whole life. I enjoy it. It's part of what I do. Um, I'll, you know, diet-wise for me, I go in phases. I'll go through a phase where I eat really clean, very little, and I'll stay on it for a while. And then I'll stray for a little bit. If you, if you don't stray every now and then, you, uh, you're, you're going to go crazy. So for me, it's just, you know, I will indulge heavily for very short periods of time. I will have an afternoon where you watch me eat and it's like, oh my God, what are you, you're going to kill yourself you, with sugar, but then I'll have the next week. I'll, I've I'll seen lock you, in. I've seen you in that mode and I've seen you see me in that mode <laughs> and it's violent. It is, um, diet wise. I, I wouldn't say I'm like on a keto thing or anything like that. I don't eat that many carbs. I try to be mindful of that. Uh, one thing I do do, I do the intermittent fasting thing where I only eat That's great. between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Um, I don't drink I lost a lot during the week. so much weight doing the intermittent fasting. I had to stop. Yeah, no, it, 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 it was, was certainly. I, I loved it. I, could, I mean, I literally watched my body fat disappear, but then it was like, and it kept accelerating. And then finally I was like, I got to stop this or I'm going to like, so, I'm going to lose way too much weight. Yeah. I ran into a similar thing. So I just started eating a lot more during the 11 to seven window. Nice. I was like, I kind of like how this times out for my schedule. So I'm just going to add a couple extra meals. So, but yeah, no, I, I do know what you meant. And then I would drink like a gallon of water a night to keep the hunger away. Because whenever you you shut off the the food, it's like the hardest habit to break is just grazing, getting up and going to the the pantry and just seeing what's there, seeing what's in the refrigerator. Ooh, look at these <laughs> bars! I'm gonna eat six of them. And yeah, then, now I've got four boxes of Lucky Charms bars in there. So yeah, I think we sold some Lucky Charms bars uh, from last episode. Now, when it comes to working out, uh, I have a buddy that I played high school football with named Kurt Baldwin, who is the strength and conditioning coach at Bishop McGinnis for their football team. He has written me workouts for years and years. I mean, a decade now that I've been doing. And uh, yeah, I just follow what he writes me. And 
it's funny because that same guy is the guy that did the Photoshop artwork for the podcast picture. Nice. Very talented man. Very talented man. So, yeah, I just I do the intermittent fasting thing, kind of. I'm not very strict with what I eat, but I work out every day. Every day. It's like Something, if I don't yeah. work out, I get real weird. My wife's like, you need to go sweat and do something. I I will, if I don't get up and work out early in the morning, I it's like the machine never turns on. I will lay there and not do anything all day. But if I get up and work out, it's like I'm ready to go. Yeah, Love that's it. why you get up at like four in the morning on the road trips. I'm like, what are you doing? If I don't, I will – because we go on air at 7 a.m., man, and if I haven't had a workout, I will be tired and boring and – it will not sound good. So I've got to get some blood flowing. Hey, I get you. No, no judgment here. You just wake up super early and it's, it's weird, man. It's weird. <laughs> All right, Ted. Hey, episode six in the books. We'll have another show that'll drop Thursday morning. Uh, just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from two to six on Sports Talk 1400. That right? Two to six? Yes, sir. Every day. You can hear me. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big Twelve Radio Channel Three Seventy Five. Uh, I hope all of you have a great start to your week. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time